frequency helps Hearst, Scripps, and Reverie reach all the major fast linear platforms. This interview with the company's CEO and BizDev head explores how and discusses the future of the industry. Frequency is a company enabling the creation, distribution, and management of fast linear channels. In this interview with the company's CEO Blair Harrison and SVP of Business Development John Cohen, recorded on October 31st, 2022, we get a chance to catch up with the advances in fast linear channel creation and management. We also hear their thoughts on the challenges, opportunities, and future of the industry. And if you're listening to this podcast after watching the video interview with Frequency, you might want to skip ahead to about nine minutes to hear the topics not covered in the video. And if you would like to sponsor End Screen Media and the creation of this podcast and all the other great content that we place on the site, we'd love to have you on board. Send an email to sales at endscreenmedia.com and we'll provide you with all the details. Now, on with the interview. This is Colin Dixon with Endscreen Media, and I'm speaking with Blair Harrison, who is CEO of Frequency. Blair, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to see you, Colin. And John Cohen, who is SVP of Business Development at Frequency. John, welcome. Thanks for having us, Colin. Yeah, John's in a little bit of a noisy environment, but uh, we can still hear him pretty clearly. So that's uh, that should be just fine. Um, I want to really wanted to talk to Frequency because they are at ground central in the evolution of the fast linear marketplace. Um, so but maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So, Blair, why don't you give us a quick intro to Frequency? OK, Um so we've been around since 2010, but since about 2018, we've been exclusively in the fast business. And Frequency is a platform for the creation and distribution of linear fast channels. We do that at a pretty considerable scale at this point. Um, we've got hundreds and hundreds of channels. We're reaching um, well over 100 different distribution points. And really, as you said, right in the thick of the the growth and evolution of this um, probably fastest growing part of the the video ecosystem globally. Right, right, uh, very much so. So, John, you you got anything to add to that? Well, you're you're in the business development department. Um, I sus- I suspect that business is very good, and scale is a challenge. Well, scale is always a challenge, but when you build really great software and you have a group of people that have stayed together from the beginning of the the research and development all the way through to the execution, it, it makes it enjoyable and, and easier. Um, it's very interesting right now because you have distributors, distribution platforms like Samsung TV Plus and others that are creating their own channels. So it's not just the content owners that are creating their own branded channels. You have distributors also in the space creating their own variants of channels using VOD that they have licensed. So the market's growing, it's evolving. And for frequency, there's a eclectic group of buyers um, for that need our services for a, a plethora of things. Right, right. So, so uh, Blair, what, you're working with a lot of content providers in helping them create their channels. Um, what would you say uh, uh, the core value proposition that you can provide to them uh, when when they work with you? 
We spend an enormous amount of time building tools that are as easy to use as the tools that you use in your everyday life. Without naming any of our uh, competitors who don't necessarily have a similar view, you know, when you do something that's going to have disruptive economics, which is what frequency represents, right? You can create a channel that if we're doing our job right is indistinguishable from the best channels on TV, but you're doing it at some small fraction of the of the cost. So that's great for everyone. But what also happens is you sort of unlock, you open the market up to people who previously wouldn't have got into this business. And so you've got lots of smaller companies, digital studios and so forth that can't afford to have half a dozen people with different disciplines all running one channel. So the tools have got to be dead simple to use. And I feel like we've achieved that better than pretty much any of our competitors. They've got to look great. So things that we take for granted on traditional TV, which haven't existed in in most fast channels and platforms for some time, like uh, motion graphics, elements that give the channel those kind of accoutrements that really want to you know keep you watching and make it look professional. I think we do that better than anyone else. Um, uh, we handle live exceptionally well already this year. We've run over. Uh, 4,000 live soccer matches um, for one of our, our big customers. And we're taking those and dynamically provisioning them into fast channels, which is pretty innovative and unique for, for frequency. And we have an analytics uh, capability that brings together um, and presents in one unified interface experience um, consumption and related data, performance data from your whole distribution footprint. And that's part of this service that we call Frequency Connect. And at the risk of listing too many ways that we differentiate, um, Connect is all about customers with lots of channels going to lots of distributors, having a large and complex distribution footprint and managing that complexity, which is increasingly enormous, right? You've got half a dozen channels going out to a dozen different places. That's a lot of things to manage. And we have some incredibly simple to use visual tools to enable you to manage your entire fast business because we think more about Frequency Studio as a platform for running your fast business than just for running a fast or a few fast channels. Right. So, so John, give us a sense for who you're working with, who, so who you, some, some of your content clients are, and uh, who you're distributing to. I'll start with the distribution part first. Um, we distribute to a lot of places. As Blair said, it's a mixture between owned and operated platforms and then third parties. To highlight a few with the Amazon Prime Video, Freevee, the Roku Channel, Bill TV, Slim TV, Tubi TV, uh, Local Now. There's there's several uh, third party anywhere where there's any meaningful scale with fast Vizio televisions, for example. Um, frequency is integrated, um, and getting integration and support on those platforms isn't just an open network where everybody can plug in. You have to have the streams authenticated. You have to have metadata for the EPG. You have to have the right ad logic. So there's a lot of different steps in that process, and we're right. very proud to have such strong uh, distribution support. On the content provider side, uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of channels, but a few that are interesting are Televisa Univision. We work with Allen Media and the Weather Group. 
We work with America's Funniest Videos. We work with Reverie and Scripps and Hearst, all of their local channels and their many other new content providers um, that I can't necessarily announce on this on this interview, but are yeah. global, large, and very meaningful and have chosen frequency for their, their core services. Yeah. One of the one of the things that Blair you didn't mention in your uh, easy to use features is you've got a very simple business model, right? Yeah, yeah. We um, we when we entered this the space, there were incumbents, and it was you know one's always got to find ways to differentiate, and we thought that we were walking into a space with an economic model that had been unchallenged for a while. Um, and so we went out of our way to simplify it. And basically, if you run a channel on frequency, you pay us to run the channel. And then with the exceptions of some um, transport-related costs, you don't pay us if you want to send that channel to 100 different distributors and apps and third-party services or to one. So it's a, it's a fixed recurring fee on a per-channel basis. Pretty much everything after that is either included or it's smaller scales as a function of consumption. So we're assuming you've got a consumption model that works, which in general one does, right? People are watching your channels and you're making money from advertising. The only sort of fixed cost is actually running the channel. So that's nice and simple. And nice uh, sounds, like, sounds like it scales extremely well. Sounds like you've got great coverage. So folks should be able to reach... Pretty much every one of the endpoints, any every one of the major faster than you endpoints that there are out there. So that sounds like a, a really good deal for them. Okay, so that's we now know who frequency is. Let's talk a little bit about the market, how you see the market evolving. Um, so first, uh, first question: You've got your finger on the pulse of what customers are looking for. Are the customers de des uh, desiring new features that you provide, uh, new 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 functions? Uh, um, are they pretty happy with with how things how things are working with the platform? I mean, I think you've kind of got two halves, right? You've got just before where we are today and then the future. And the reason I say just before where we are today is we're basically now at a point where um, you can create channels, as I said earlier, on, on frequency and other some of the competitive platforms that are indistinguishable from the best channels on TV. But now the question is, you know, what's next? Because what we've done is moved all that technology to the cloud, done it in a way that's truly disruptive economically. And that offers a few benefits, clearly unlocks the sort of the floodgates of content, new creators, new studios, libraries getting unlocked. But what it also does is gives companies like Frequency the ability to innovate at internet speed, right? So if there's some new capability that's wanted, whether it's something that reaches the viewer or something that's sort of behind the scenes, we release new software like most SaaS cloud companies every two weeks. So we're putting new stuff on screen constantly. And, you know, the sky's the limit. I mean, if you think about the advertising part of the advertising experience, well, it's still basically ad pods, right? Two, yeah. two and a half, three minute ad pods. It's just transposed from uh, the way it used to be done on television. And there's no reason why it needs to be only that. There's any number of ways you can monetize a stream in terms of getting 
material in front of a viewer that's going to engage them with a brand. So I think there's going to be a huge amount of innovation there. You know, at the moment, the the linear and and on-demand worlds, they're completely different, right? Linear is linear. It's always on. It clearly has a role in the resurgent one. Video on demand is what it is. It's a well-defined experience. It works very well. But now that everything's kind of soft and squishier and in the cloud, I think there's going to be a lot of in- innovation in the viewing viewing experience itself. So if I'm in the middle of yeah. watching a linear channel and suddenly I see something that engages me and I want to go and binge watch that show forever, well, I should be able to do that very seamlessly. And there's sort of corollaries of that in in the in reverse. And nothing's really happened there yet. In fact, somewhat strangely, the best fast services are actually not as good as the best traditional pay TV services at the moment in terms of providing this sort of linear on-demand hybrid experiences. So that'll change very, very soon. Live is something that a lot of customers want um, to be able to handle in a more fluid way. Because that's one of the things that in the traditional TV world, you needed the really big gear for. So that's rapidly rolling into the cloud. And there'll be a lot of innovation that happens there. And then automation is a huge one. You know, if I'm sitting on a library of thousands of of movies or TV, episodic TV or whatever, as the platform operator, as the guy running the direct-to-consumer platform, I want to be able to create channels, get them in front of viewers, see if they work. And if they don't, do it again or change it and have that kind of, you know, internet dynamics feedback loop uh, where I can do experimentation. And if I've got to go and program a channel manually by hand every single time, well, that kind of uh, undermines the the, um, ease with which I can do that kind of experimentation. So I think there's going to be an enormous amount happening there and frequency certainly spending a lot of time on it. Possibly, yeah. So, so John, you know, one of the one of the things that I've heard people say is that there's only so many channels that you can make available in these fast linear services. Um, is there a limit to the number of channels, and where is that limit coming from? I think the limit today is kind of self-imposed because you have very rudimentary content discovery, channel discovery, mostly through an EPG programming guide of sorts. And I don't think you can have hundreds and hundreds of channels in a grid and expect someone to find exactly what they want. So I feel that the distributors are really looking at that real estate and being very um, targeted on what channels are there. And they have data on what's performed historically. And they're continuing to bring that level of, of programming into the interface. I think once content discovery evolves and is mature to the point where you can put what a specific set of genres or channels or series in front of a user that the possibilities are endless in terms of how many channels you can carry. You could have hundreds, if not thousands. It matters about what you're recommending to your viewers and what level of, of detail they can put in front of them because they're watching the same dozen or so channels, whatever it may be. Do they have their own personalized EPG and how are you putting data in front of them? So I do think that there is a limitation based on the discoverability, but I think that will evolve as the distributors put more um, focus and resources into those products because they're making a lot of money for them, a lot of yeah. usage, a lot of dollars. One interesting question, the Wall Street Journal has received criticism from the industry because it ran a piece talking about some of the 
problems with fast, particularly with fast linear delivery. So I, I want to so, sort of turn that on the on on its head, at least for a moment, Blair, and ask you, what are some of the advantages of streaming delivery? What what makes it great? What makes it better than than traditional? It's a lot cheaper. Um, the you know, it's sort of the two points I touched on earlier. If you've got disruptive economics and disruptive dynamics, by that I mean you can enjoy um, internet economics, like everything's super cheap and you can pay on demand, you can pay as you go, you don't have to buy gear, there's no capital costs. And if you can create new capabilities, whether they're on screen or behind the scenes, you know, efficiencies in workflow and so forth. And you can do that at the speed that, with which you can write and test and release code. Lots of bets are off. So I think, you know, what's better is more choice for consumers because sort of the, the dirty little secret of the very large until still enormous pay TV business is everyone was kind of watching the same stuff. Yeah. If you think about that, it's kind of staggering. You had 300 million people watching the same 300 channels. Figure out the dimension on which you're going to expand that enormously. People will have more choice. And so that works. And, you know, and these all sort of interrelate, right? Disruptive economics enables more choice. So consumers end up being able to, consumers are going to win, period. Consumers are going to win because they don't have to spend whatever the average pay TV sub is, $84 or something. Every direct-to-consumer video experience on the planet, roughly, non-certainly connected TV ones, are going to end up with both linear and and on-demand experiences. So I think ubiquitousness will be something that customers enjoy because, you know, we used to talk about lean back experiences and lean forwards like 20 years ago, but now with the resurgence of linear that, that, that fast services have have heralded, I really will be able to on whatever my chosen video experiences, video service, I'll be, be able to lean back and just push play or I'll be able to lean in and make choices and have a more on-demand experience. But again, when all this stuff comes together in the cloud, one can enable these experiences inexpensively and easily, and consumers are just going to have more stuff to watch and better experiences with greater ease on more devices and what's not to like, as they say. Very good. So we've, that's, the, that's to the plus side. But, uh, John, there are still a few challenges. So what are some of the challenges that you're seeing out there for the industry? I think content discovery is a challenge. You may have a great channel with great content, but that content isn't getting in front of the right viewer, um, especially as there's an increasingly larger number of channels. It, the real estate and the promotion become uh, increasingly hard. It's not dissimilar to the SVOD issue, which is about customer acquisition, user acquisition, and then when you and then retaining them, these are very expensive things, and um, I think that is fundamentally an issue. And then you have not just one channel for all. How do you create different packages of channels based on what the audiences are watching? That really requires an ecosystem of participants moving in the same direction, sharing data and frequency, 
um, is in a very enviable position, I think, relative to the market in our, our core set of competitors because we're not trying to sell data to build an advertising business directly or performance marketing, whatever it may be. We really just want to help our content providers create the best channels for that audience. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at the internet, what someone's watching on Roku may be different than what the audience on Pluto is doing or even uh, what prime time means, right? So we want to get to a point where on a per distributor, per audience basis, you're customizing a channel so that feels a bit more personalized than what um, one size fits all. So I do think discovery and kind of this standardization and, and collection of data can be can be enhanced and optimized a bit for the future. To kind of put it all together, I think my, I had two aha moments in the last three to five years um, as we've been exploring this, which was number one, I really love the show Mystery Science Theater 3000. And shout out to my friends at Pluto. One of the only places I could watch that, which is like, you know, this internet gold of, of this TV show that was on Comedy Central for years, which was the Mystery Science Theater channel on Pluto TV running episode after episode. It didn't matter which season or episode number it was, whatever was on, I was going to watch. You can't recreate that on traditional linear. So that was the benefit. And then as you look at Netflix, which has been in the, the VOD business, the best VOD, they had autoplay going on with whatever was being promoted in the masthead. And if you were watching a certain series or movie, they would autoplay the next one. To us, that was always a lean back, always on experience. It was becoming linear. So without previewing what they may or may not do in advertising, because I don't know, I only know what they've announced, um, you already had a quasi-linear experience happening on Netflix. So you had both ends of the spectrum, the free ad-supported services core, and then you had the SVOD with user behavior that was almost like linear and keeping users engaged in, in the media. So um, those were like just two kind of things that crystallized what, what's going on in the market. In the last couple of seconds here, what do you think? Uh, what are some of the other things that you're expecting to see in the next year or so? So, Blair, what do you think? What uh, just in the last couple of couple of seconds here? Netflix will launch a linear capability. Just to go with what John said, I might as well make a bold prediction that I could be judged right or wrong on. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I've made that prediction myself a couple of times, so I'm in violent oh, agreement with right, that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, unfortunately, derivative. The term fast will evolve to just be, and the sort of concepts around it to be the future of television. And everybody will realize that what's really happening here is free is good because pay TV was too much and everybody had enough subscriptions. Linear is resurgent because it's a perfect counterbalance to an on-demand experience and that paralysis we all have of trying to find something to watch and giving up. But what's really happening behind the scenes while nobody was paying attention is all these services have moved into the cloud at light speed, far beyond the speed with which anyone expected it to happen. And the speed of innovation in programming and delivering experiences to viewers, video experiences to viewers, will for the first time on the big screen be as awesome and exciting as what's been happening on the mobile screen for a long time. John, your thoughts? More channels, more distribution, more ad dollars coming into connected TV, more live live, appointment viewing, 
trying to recreate elements of the bundle, international growth outside of, of U.S. and Canada, Western Europe. You'll start seeing things, more, more activity in, in parts of Asia. Distributors operating more of their own channels with the license bot that they have and having the freedom to create those channels. And I think you can make a really good base case that for any channel that lives on a traditional ecosystem, that there is a faster IP equivalent to it that pops up somewhere with differentiated programming, a new brand or something related to it. You bet. You bet. Great points. Gentlemen, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for spending time with us and uh, telling us what you think about the market and also telling us more about frequency. Blair, thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. Nice to see you again, and thanks for taking time to do this. No problem, and John, good to see you as well. You too. This has been Colin Dixon with Endscreen Media. This podcast is the property of Endscreen Media. All rights reserved.